Thank you, Charlie. Good evening. Um, I hope you're all well. Um, November is here. Winter is well and truly upon us. It is getting colder. It is getting darker. It is getting wetter. But fear not, because England did not win the Rugby World Cup. Too soon? Too soon? No? Okay. No, um, but we can't. We, get, we can finally start to talk about Christmas. It is coming and it's just around the corner. And tonight we have the words of Paul that he wrote to the Philippians to encourage us. And so we're continuing um, with our study in Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 to 30, on page 1179, if you turn with me now. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the working of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and that I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. There's quite a lot in there. That's quite a meaty passage, and hopefully you're able to follow and stick with me. Um, there's lots for us to mull over, um, and I'm going to do my best to help us delve into it and to discover what Paul really wants us to learn from it tonight. But I think the main thing from this passage is that Paul wanted the members of the Philippian church to shine like stars, and that's the same for us today. Paul is encouraging us to shine like stars. That's the headline, and I want you to remember that, to take that away and live that out in your lives. But let's dig a little bit deeper into how we do that. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky, twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. 
That famous nursery rhyme had us and still continues to have children in a state of wonder, musing over the peculiarity of stars. And many of us still stand and gaze in awe at them now. Unfortunately, you can't see too many of them in London, but I love getting to the countryside or the coast and watching the night sky. I had the pleasure during the summer, I was, uh, I was holidaying in France, and we were not far from a designated dark sky area, and it was breathtaking. We were able to see star constellations, shooting stars, the Milky Way, and even with the help of a fairly small telescope, we could see Venus and Saturn complete with its ring. There were a group of four of us out there that night, and we just lay and watched without saying a word, in complete awe and wonderment. But still the question remained, how I wonder what you are. Well, thankfully, Paul in his letter tells us that for us to be stars, he tells us how we are to do it. And the first thing Paul tells us to do, or tells the Philippians to do in verse 12, is to obey. It's to be obedient to Christ. To work out, or rather live out, our salvation. And now Paul here isn't lambasting the Philippians. They haven't been particularly bad at this, but he's encouraging them to keep going. That they were already being obedient, especially when he was there. But Paul says, if you look at verse 12, now much more in my absence. And that's the hard bit. It's easy to behave when the teacher is around. If you tell a class of six-year-olds to be quiet and stand in front of them, you're pretty sure they'll be quiet. But once you turn away... That's probably not the case. The art of self-discipline is indeed a difficult one. One that I myself struggle with when the sweets and the desserts are around. And no one is there to nudge me and say, no, you've had enough. I once had an old housemate, and I'll not incriminate because he has sat amongst us tonight. Um, I'm not sure who was the bad influence on who. But we used to have Monday night movies where we'd watch movies or we would watch a TV series. And we would eat, and we would eat, and we would eat. And we would usually eat, we, we'd have favor of packets of bourbons, not because of the quality of the biscuit, but because you could get lots for quite cheap. Um, but we would eat that. We would eat bourbons, we would eat ice cream, and much more each Monday night. Even though the week before we had said, let's train more, let's eat better. And our girlfriends think we should stop eating as well. I think we can all probably relate to that on some level. Giving in when someone isn't there to help us. Maybe that's our struggle. Maybe there's something we know we shouldn't be doing. But we give in to our weakness over and over again. Well, thankfully, we're told that we aren't expected to do this all on our own. If we read verse 13, it tells us this. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We are supported by God to will and to act. That means he has given us his desire to obey, and then he continues to support us with the energy and power to follow up those desires. This is not a call to inaction on our part, to leave it all to God, but is encouraging us to work too. The Scottish theologian John Murray put it like this. God's working in us is not suspended because we work nor are working suspended because God works. 
Neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation, as if God did his part and we did ours, so that the conjunction or coordination of both produced the required result. God works and we also work. But the relation is that because God works, we work. All working out of salvation on our part is the effective of God's working in us. The more persistently active we are in working, the more persuaded we may be that all the energizing grace and power is of God. So our first thing was to be obedient. And our second thing Paul wants to do, and he says it in verse 14, is to do it without grumbling or arguing. Paul here is probably alluding to the actions of the Israelites as they walked around the desert and the amount of grumbling they did to Moses, the amount of complaining they did about Moses and God despite getting what they wanted in being exodus from Egypt. And Paul wants to make sure that the Philippians learn from what has gone on before them. Well, this message is probably prevalent for us too. We are British, and we probably take part in a very British thing of complaining. Or in Northern Ireland, we talk about giving off. Even when things are good, we can find something to whinge about. We can find something to complain about. And what Paul is trying to do is point out that in the light of what Jesus has done, moaning shouldn't be a response. It shouldn't be our response to moan and complain. But instead, we should probably turn to thankfulness. And that would be a much better attribute. So those are the things that Paul wants us to do. Paul wants us to be obedient and to do it without grumbling. Well, why? Well, it comes back to what I said at the start, because doing these things enables us to shine like stars. Not just to shine like stars, but if you turn with, look again at verse 15 and 16, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul is telling us that through our obedience, through not complaining both inwardly and outwardly, that we first become blameless and pure. People who are out without blemish or fault, people who are pure and uncontaminated by what is going on around them. Paul is writing to the Philippians to do all this in a crooked generation. I'm not sure exactly what went on around in Philippi at this time, but it feels like Paul could just be easily writing that to us now in 2019 in London. You just have to watch the news for a few minutes to feel like there's no good news. That we too are in a warped and crooked generation where selfishness and ego seem to drive the world and we put our own needs ahead of those of others. But what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it as individuals, as churches, as a community? Are we going to stand by and just let it happen? Or can we actually do something about it? Well, Paul has given us a pretty good framework for us to actually do something about it, to help us shine like stars in the sky. Now, you might be sat there going, Marcus, that's great, but what can me shining like star really do? Can that really bring any change? Well, let's pause and think about stars for a moment. Stars bring light into the darkness. People are drawn to light and big lights. People use stars to guide them in the right direction. And the same is true metaphorically. 
When we think of people who shine like stars, we're all naturally drawn to them. We learn from them, and we even follow them. And this passage that we've been exploring tonight gives us three great examples of what this might look like with Paul himself, firstly, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. But before we reach them, there's one final thing that Paul wants the Philippians and us to do. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul wants them to hold firmly to the word of life. And that is the word of Christ. We're to grasp onto and not let go of the word of Jesus because we believe in its transformative power for all people. The word really in this sense is the gospel and Paul describes it in another letter like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel is the power of God. Why would we not want to hold firmly to it? And we can every day. The Philippians didn't have a book like we do, that we can take wherever we want, we can open whenever we want to, we can read, that we can get to know, and we can understand that word better. But how often do we take it for granted? That we don't invest time in studying it, learning from it, or even sharing it? Some of you might have heard this before, especially if you've done the Alpha course, but a couple of weeks ago we looked at how and why should I read the Bible. And Gandhi says this of the Bible. You Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. What would St. Mark's Battersea Rise look like if we became a church who read, understood, and applied the Bible in the way Gandhi has suggested? What if we as Christians did that? We might start to see some change in the world. I mentioned it before, but let's look at those three examples that tonight's passage is giving us of shining like stars. Um, what? We, in our home group, have been studying Discipleship Explored, which follows the book of Philippians. And it was around these three that a lot of our conversation resided. We were kind of blown away by each of them. Firstly, by Paul. Paul, as we know at this stage, is in prison and could very easily at this point stop. He'd been through a lot. What with shipwrecks, visiting most of Europe to spread the good news of Jesus. And now he finds himself in prison. But instead of giving up, instead of stopping there, he decides to fire everyone else up. If we look at verses 16 to 18, Paul is saying that even though he can't, you can to the Philippians. Even though he is contained, that they can still keep going, that they can still keep thriving with the gospel, keep striving on. And he tells them to rejoice as they do it. And to rejoice with him because he is rejoicing in them. Back to our point earlier about grumbling or complaining. If you ever want a lesson on how to do that, just look at Paul. Just look at how he leads his life and continues to get on with it, continues to glorify God and pursue him even whenever he's in chains. Paul doesn't just stop with a letter, but he sends them Timothy, 
and Epaphroditus. And what a description they get from Paul. I was just blown away. I wrote, wow, whenever I was reading through this passage. Verse 20 and 21. For I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And then what about Epaphroditus in verse 26? For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard, because you heard he was ill. I don't know about you, but when I'm ill, I don't tend to think too much about other people. That's probably a, a time whenever I wallow in self-pity. But here we have Epaphroditus who is worrying about people who are worrying about him. Or like Timothy, showing genuine concern for other people's welfare. People he hasn't even met yet. That he is looking out for other people's interests ahead of his own that he was looking out for Jesus Christ. There's something different about these two, something very different from the average human being. They were shining like stars in the sky, and that's why Paul sent them, for they cared for the interests of Jesus Christ ahead of their own. As I was thinking and studying this passage, I was drawn to Luke 6, verse 45, and the final section of that verse, and it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. These men, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they stored up Christ in their hearts, and it overflows in their words, and not just in their words, but in their actions too. They had built up a passion for Christ, and they wanted to let everyone know. You know what it's like to meet people who are passionate. It overflows, And you can't help but be intrigued and excited by what they are passionate about. It's often infectious. And I was thinking back whenever at this verse, and for the first talk I ever gave at 16 years old, I was looking at this verse. This was the verse that I was to to speak on. And to help illustrate this, what this meant, I looked at the character of Dewey Finn. For Dewey Finn, for those who don't know, the character is who Jack Black plays in the School of Rock, which if you haven't seen, go see it. There's a West End musical, and the film is very good. That's your Monday night movie sorted. But Dewey is an unorthodox and untrained subteacher who takes a class of prep school pupils and inspires them through his passion and knowledge to become a band. And not just a band, but to go and perform at the Battle of the Bands. And one of the great lines is that one great rock show can change the world. What is Paul inspiring in us tonight? Maybe not that one great rock show can change the world, but that in shining like stars, we can start to change the world. So for us, will we stir up a passion for Christ deep in our hearts that overflows into our day-to-day lives? that presents itself in obedience to Christ, even when others aren't there to support us, even whenever it's difficult, that presents itself in not grumbling, but instead showing thankfulness, gratefulness, a passion that presents itself in holding firmly to the word of life, the Bible, letting it shape us, transform us, and overflow out of our lives every day.
And what's the net result of all these things? That we shine like stars, letting our faith shine out in every facet of our life. For we know that from reading this passage that what happened because of these men who shined like stars, well, people came to know Christ. People came to have faith. And that will be the same today. Let's just pray for a moment, and then Charlie's going to lead us in communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that Paul gives us here. And Lord, just let, let it not just be words, but let it speak to our hearts. Let it be action for us as we leave, that we may shine like stars in a warped and crooked generation. In your son's name I pray. Amen.